Hi guys, it's your host, Sharian. And today we're going to be kicking off an awesome episode, digging into a hot news topic, a hot button issue. And I hope you're ready because I am and I'm super excited to share all I have for you. Let's go. Hi, Willow Vessels family. I'm so happy to have you guys back with me today. Um, I can't tell you how excited I am to do this episode. I have a bonus episode for y'all. This early in the game, we have two bonus episodes, both on Brianna Taylor, the facts and the real truth behind her case, as I have seen a lot, a lot, a lot of false facts going around can't lie it's on both sides conservative liberal however you want to see it it's on both sides and so I thought it would be a good time to break down you know the real truth straight down the middle um just looking and observing you know what you know what's happening with the case what happened to this particular person that we're going to go over today and 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 what's God's perspective on that case. So I hope you guys are ready for that because it's getting ready to get very real. Now, before I jump in, I want to break down where that I get these facts. Like, you know, because I noticed that every time I look at an interview on this, you know, whether it be on YouTube, a podcast, whatever, you know, they state that they're saying facts, but I always find that in the video, it's, it's not 100% of the facts as we have it or as we know it, right? And so it's, it's very important that before you do something like this, you know, and um, dissect a case that you have all your facts together. Okay. Uh, that's very important because um, if not, the audience won't be informed correctly. And then they'll go around stating all these fake alternative facts, you know. And like I said, you know, this is on both sides. So what I did to try to get the real truth here of the matter, I really, really, really try to go to the root sources of things. I looked at everything overall, but I tried to go to the root sources. So for example, I looked at the grand jury recordings, you know, the audio and written statements from the grand jurors. I looked at AG Cameron, um, Attorney General Daniel Cameron, and what he had to say about the case. I looked at, you know, his um, statements to the public. I looked also at um, news sources that are local because I find that the local news sources are often like they don't have a they don't have a, a dog in this fight they're just reporting the local news right and so I um, I tried to look at the local news sources I looked at uh, both I did also look at both liberal and conservative media sources because I wanted to know where people were getting their facts from and you know I, I wanted to consider everything and I also wanted to sit, consider other people's narratives you know and 
what they feel about this situation because that that is also important it's important to understand how people think how they come to the conclusions that they come to and so I looked at that also I looked at transcripts I looked at the LMPD reports I looked at um, the interviews of the PI is a PUI PIU I can't remember but I looked at their investigation videos I looked at documentaries I looked at everything I looked at TatumReport.com for the leakings. I looked at um, Candace Owen, who I usually, I can admit, don't 100% agree with her, but I don't hate, I don't slander people. So, um, but I, I, I try to give everything a fair chance because like I said, my job is to be as neutral as possible in this thing. Okay, so you're going to notice that I'm going to break down who I feel is guilty most guilty least guilty has some accountability in this you know straight down the middle uh if if brianna taylor is innocent does she have some guilt in this you know um the left and the right have their opinions about this and so i thought it was really important to you know go over that you know um as fairly as possible does that mean i don't have an opinion no i absolutely have an opinion and i won't lie about that but i will say this my goal is to make sure that I don't um, push a narrative. I don't have a desire to push a narrative. I have an opinion, but my goal is always to try to stick to the facts. And, you know, I'll give my opinion and I'll be clear about that. But I, I don't have the desire to push a narrative because I find it doesn't allow people to be able to think for themselves. So I'm my goal is to present all of everything, all the evidence that I've gathered to you. And you can you know, you're going to have to use your own mind to come to your own conclusions. And I will give my conclusions, but understand that this is my mind, right? And then on the next episode, um, breaking down this Brianna Taylor, because it's going to be two episodes. I don't know if I said that, but there's going to be two on the next episode. I'm going to be sure to break down um, everything from a Christ or gospel perspective biblically on the Brianna Taylor case. And the reason I feel that's necessary is because on the on on the liberal side, I find that, you know, of course, um, it's it's the fight against injustice. It's a fight against racism. You know, you have BLM, which is another topic, which, by the way, I'm going to have an episode on really soon. And then, you know, um, and, and fighting for the innocent. Right. And and their feelings is that they're fighting for the innocent. Right. And then you have on the more conservative side. I've been seeing them say, hey, you know, Brianna, she wasn't innocent. She deserved what she got. You know, she was that's what happens when you have bad company. That's what happens when you have drug dealer boyfriends and you get involved with the wrong people. Your 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 mother should have taught you this and you should have learned how to date as a teenager and all this. And 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 so on that side, they feel that it's, you know, that that she was guilty. She was guilty in the court of public opinion on the conservative end. And so I'm going to dissect that as well. And we're going to look at it, like I said, as best as I can from a, you know, more of a, a, a Christian perspective. Right. And so before I really jump into these, these um, discussions, I want to ask one thing of you first. And that is to come into the space with an open heart, 
right? I want you to remove all the hardness of heart. I know you probably are coming in with your own opinions, you know, um, that you've already formed based on the facts that you have read and and the, you know, news stories you've seen. But I want this to be a place where we're not blaming. And I want this to always be a space that is not judgmental. Like the goal here is to, you know, of course, like I said, speak truth, mix grace and truth um, in with love. Right. But the goal also is to be neutral. And the only way you can do that is if you just clear your mind. Let's start from scratch. Forget everything you've learned. But try to look at this from, you know, a, a place of empathy and compassion and at the same time with truth, right? It's, it's, you need to have a balance is what I'm saying. And, and on the, epi- the next episode, I'll, I'll really break down the whys of that. But for now, I really just want to ask you to have this, you know, before we go forward. Because I can tell you now, I'm a person that believe, believes in giving grace to people, um, especially the ones that so desperately need it, because I believe that's what Jesus did, okay? And I'm always going to try to hit things from a perspective that way. I don't believe that Jesus was some hippie walking around you know saying peace and love all day uh but i (laughs) i do know one thing he was about mercy and he was about grace and so you should come in here remembering that don't just come in here doctrinally for the christians that that are listening because this is not only a christian podcast i do hit things from a christian perspective but it's not only a christian podcast but i'm asking that you um come in with um that you that you come in Christian specifically with a coming in from a place of grace because why God have great he had grace on you and you would want him to have grace on you right you know so be careful of how harsh you come in because you can't cast the first stone can you I can't cast the first stone can I okay so let's come in here from you know, the right place is all I ask. Be applicational with your faith, not just doctrinal. All righty. So let's jump in. So similar to the George Floyd case, I feel that Breonna Taylor has taken the world by storm. You know, her her case is really filled with a lot of controversy, And, you know, she had a a really bigger than life personality, which seems to be looming larger um, in death. And, you know, I want to really start with giving a little bit of background um, of her because she's human. She's a human. This is this is a lot more about humanity, in my opinion, than it is about uh, politics. And I, I think one of the things I hate about when cases where people have passed blow up is that it turns into such a political event and the person stops being a human and they just become this like you know (laughs) this this figure that that and people forget that that you know is bigger than that and people have really lost a person and so when you you have to be careful of how you deal with a person that's gone on and, and they're not here to defend themselves. And and they have a story. They have a background. They had ambitions. They had they had purpose. They had they were made in the Imago Day of God. They they had, you know, something 
that God wanted them to accomplish on this earth. Everybody does, no matter how much we don't agree with their lifestyle. God had everything for somebody. There's a reason that they're here to accomplish something. Right. And so it's really important that we humanize her. She was a human. (laughs) Um, And so I want to give a little background and celebrate her just a little bit because she does deserve that. Okay. So Brianna was born, you know, in 1993 and she was actually born in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And uh, though she lived in Louisville, uh, I don't know when her mom moved her there, when they moved there as a family, her and her mom, I believe her father is, um, I believe he's serving a life prison, a life sentence in um, prison. Uh, don't quote me on it being a life sentence, but I think he is still in prison. I'm not sure if that's in Grand Rapids or if, if that's in Louisville, but um, she eventually moved to Louisville. So her mother describes her as being like a better version of herself. And she talked about how she had like a smile out of this world. I think we've all seen Brianna's picture and um, pictures and she's, she's gorgeous. She had a very pretty smile. You know, she has chubby cheeks like me. So I kind of related to that, um, you know, where you just, you strike on, you just like, you know, you got the little cute cheeks, you know what I'm saying? It, it kind of gives you like that young look for a long time, no matter how old you get, you still kind of look like young, you know, I feel like she had that. Uh, she was very, very adorable and she had really big plans for her life. And she had, I, I, I read that she had post-it notes all over her apartment and she wrote her goals on there. Um, everybody won't be familiar with this, but there should be some little black girls out there that are familiar with this. This is so Gabrielle Union. Oh my God. What's the name of that show? Don't kill me. I can't. Oh, being Mary Jane on BET. She used to post the notes all over her apartment of her ambitions. And, um, you know, well, really she had accomplished everything she wanted, but, I wondered if she got that from that, if she watched being Mary Jane or where she got the posting of the post-it notes. That's where I got it. And I did that for a little while, a little bit. Um, It was very aspirational to me, but she posted her ambitions uh, up on her on the post-it notes. And she put them all over her apartment, which I thought was just that's that's a particular type of girl that does something like that. You know, she also had just bought a brand new car, a black uh, Dodge Charger. And her goal, her next goal for herself was to buy a new home because she was renting an apartment and she wanted to begin a family. I found that to be very clear when I looked on her uh, Instagram and Facebook and stuff. She really desired a family. She talked about that quite a bit, wanting to have a child or children. And, you know, she was she was like your typical girl that 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 wanted those things. So her family and her friends also describe her as really being, you know, loving and fun. And even if it was just a few minutes out of the day that you were with her, she really made the most of those moments. And it was, you know, those were the best minutes of your day when you were around her. She made things, the smallest little things, a lot of fun. So this was a girl that that had a bigger than life personality. Everybody loves people like that, right? Those are usually your most lovable people. They have the most friends and um, and people really adore them. And you can tell that 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 was was really what she was like. She was known for um, placing you know, a lot of drive around everybody around her. She had, you know, funny extra little quirks about her where she enjoyed doing this one thing where she put hot sauce on everything. One of her friends said she even put it on her pancakes, <laughs> which I thought was really, really funny. Um, 
I thought to myself, like, dang, like, how Beyonce is that? You know, I wonder if she carried in her bag a swag. Um, no, let me stop. But uh, that's that's a real down South Georgia girl thing to do. And before all you Christians out there start getting on me for quoting Beyonce, okay, just back up off me. Okay, back up off me. I already know. Okay, keep it real. Oh, but I'm just saying, people do keep hot sauce in their bag in the South. I know a lot of girls that kept hot sauce in their bag. Okay, especially at work, and it um it's just a, it's just a particular type of person that would do that. You have to be so extra, um, but you also have to love food, and I for one love food, so I could relate to her in that way. Everyone seemed to love that about her, but she also had this motherly you know, side about her where she loved caring for other people. And her family says that she was always trying to help others. Uh, in the New York Times documentary, they had talked about how she um, she had tried to always help her grandmother, which she really, really loved her grandmother, very, very close to her grandmother. But um, I think she had diabetes or something and she would try to prick her finger when she was little and she just, you know, she always had that nurse-like, you know, those nurse like traits about her and it, it made sense because she went on to have you know she became like an aspiring nurse and, and a certified EMT so I, I thought those things were for were really you know great about her uh, another thing I noticed on her socials was that uh, she discussed that sometimes she felt that she was always taking care of other people but she doesn't feel in return that people were taking care of her also she felt she was always doing for others and she had this really really big heart heart and you know she was always for other people and being pure and genuine with other people she believed in being herself but you know just didn't feel like she got that in return always and and what's funny that you're gonna see with me a lot of the conclusions I came to because those were I want to say that was one of her last statements um, but one of the conclusions I came to was that in the end, that quote from her ended up being really, really eerie and right because it was other people's actions to an extent that landed her where she what where she ended, because had people cared more for her she would be alive today. And I'm not even, people are already going to assume I'm talking about the police, but I'm actually not. There are other people in this I hold accountable that had they just had as much care for her as she might have had for them, based on what I read, um, she'd still be here. And so anyway, I'll get into that stuff later. Another thing I, I observed was that she appeared to be a Christian. She discussed on her uh, Twitter, I believe it was. Oh, sorry. I've been saying IG all this time, but I meant to say Twitter. But um, she discussed on her um, on her Twitter that she, you know, prayed, you know, she she over. I looked back like years and it, it seemed like she really, you know, uh, did like to pray. I noticed also on her socials that she followed Joyce Myers and she, 
uh, had a digital Bible app and I'm not painting her as a saint, but you know, like I said, my goal is to be neutral, but I also want to give a high level overview of this person's life and what they believed and what they loved. And, you know, it was really, really evident that she, she did have some sort of relationship with Christ and she loved being in relationships in general. She loved the idea of love. You could tell, like I said, she wanted a family and, and in the end, you can arguably say this ended up being the primary cause of her demise um was 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 wanting love so um now another thing about her is that Brianna worked a lot she often talked about how sleep deprived she was she stated it like numerous times over the span of like two years on her twitter uh she worked really long at hard shifts with you know kind of low pay and you know she stated in one tweet she said I hope 2018 is a better year for me financially I mean by the grace of God I always made sure my bills were covered but it's been a long struggle and I'm over it so you could tell that this was a, a rough year for her I could tell she also had recently lost her grandmother around that time she wasn't happy with her job which was a really low point for her which she referenced quite a bit and she fought um though not to allow life to get the best of her and she often chronicled her um her days and her excitement about her life plans and and random posts about food like honey buns which i love taking birthday vacations even fights with her boyfriends her her disdain for cold weather which i also hate missing her grandmother and you know for the most part she was just a regular 26 year old but there were parts of her life that may not have been as normal for some cultures some people and you know, we'll, we'll get into that, into that later. So now I want to dive into a bit of what happened to Brianna and the case details and why people are giving such a visceral reaction to it, whether that be in support of the case um, and the conviction of the police officers involved or, um, you know, against uh, Brianna Taylor and the rest of the people involved in the case like Kenneth Walker. So, you know, as most people know in Louisville that have there have been um, demonstrations that have led to nightly protests downtown and the outrage has been at like an all time high. I really think since around July and the city fired one of the police officers involved and they've um, pushed out the police chief. They've passed Brianna's law that bans no knock warrants. I believe, I don't know if it's in all of Kentucky or just Louisville, but they've banned no knock warrants, um, which allows the police to burst into people's homes without warning. Um, especially in the area of narcotics. But, um, you know, protest protesters feel that that that's not enough. And so we're going to break down, you know, why we're also going to break down the why of, you know, they they feel that, you know, the police should not have uh, or Tiana or Brianna. So sorry, Brianna's family should not have been awarded the 12 million dollars. And, you know, that you know, the police haven't been protected in this situation. And so, you know, like I said, we're just going to do our best to gain a decent perspective of what what happened, because there are definitely different accounts based on which news source you frequent frequent. So I took my time in reviewing um, in reviewing both sides. So 
Like I said before, Breonna Taylor was a 26-year-old black woman. She was living in Louisville, Kentucky. And as I stated before, she was a certified EMT, but she was not working as an EMT um, when she passed. It was confirmed by the family that she was working as an ERT, an emergency room technician, uh, to the day she passed. And she had aspirations, like I said before, of becoming a nurse. There is false news going around that she was not in a certified EMT and that she was fired uh, for particular reasons, which we'll discuss a little bit later, but that actually ended up being untrue. It was confirmed that she quit that past job uh, because she claimed that people claimed she was fired from. Um, and and it was due to just, you know, long hours, which actually was in su- that was in support from um, her Twitter. So on the day she passed, she was actually in a she was in ERT and she had just done four overnight shifts at one of the hospitals that she worked at. Uh, she actually worked at two different hospitals. So she um, she had two locations that she was in ERT at. So um, to let off some steam, she and her current boyfriend um, named Kenneth Walker had planned a date night. They had dinner at a steakhouse that night, followed by a, by a movie in bed. And on the night of Friday, March the 13th of 2020, the local LMPD uh, went to Brianna Taylor's house, which she shared with her 20 year old sister. Now, she lived in an apartment, not a house. But um, another interesting note about that is that she also had a two year old that frequented the home as well. And they stayed there several nights a week. And the boyfriend, of course, um, he frequented the park um, apartment as well. Luckily, though, that night, neither the child nor Brianna's sister was there. Her sister was on a trip uh, to California. And so this just left Brianna and her boyfriend at the house. And to give a little bit background on their relationship, Brianna met her boyfriend in 2012, from what I could see. And um, it seemed, I don't know how much time passed after that, but at some point after that, they became a pair. They'd been in a relationship over the years, sometimes taking breaks from one another. So they were a bit on and off. It's unclear when they began to see each other again this go round, like in 2020, but it has been confirmed that he was her current boyfriend. So after receiving the no-knock warrant to search the apartment at 1230 a.m., the police headed to her home as a part of a narcotics investigation they were at the right home some people have been saying they were at the wrong home that's actually incorrect they were at the right home uh we do know that it was a no-knock warrant because it said so on the warrant it uh used taylor's apartment address um it's also important to note here that they did not have an, an arrest warrant for Brianna. They just had a search warrant and their main target was Jamarcus Glover. He was a felon with a history of drug charges who dated Taylor previously between 2016 um, through January of 2020. Actually, let me take that back because I cannot confirm for sure if Jamarcus Glover was a felon or not. But he did have a history of drug charges. He had previously been um, in jail and um, and he had just been arrested that night, the same night that Brianna was killed. So, um, like I said, they had dated previously between 2016 and uh, January of 2020. The police argued in the affidavit for the search warrant that they believe that Glover was using Taylor's apartment for deliveries uh, to receive mail and to avoid detection from law enforcement. Now, 
We actually now know that the Postal Service had confirmed that this mail was not suspicious. It was never flagged as suspicious. And and I'll discuss what that entailed a little bit later. Another thing I want to call out early now is that the PIU interviews that took place of all the officers present that went into Brianna's unit, including uh, Detective Brett Hankinson and Miles Cosgrove, John Mattingly, Mick Campbell, Sean Hoover, Tony James, and Mike Nobles, um, they all had discrepancies on whose apartment this was in the interviews afterwards. And when they were asked how they were briefed on the apartment, some of them had conflicting explanations. But one thing that was really clear is they did not have a formal plan of entry, which is problematic. Uh, quotes from Hankinson and Nobles here uh, says that this was an ex-girlfriend's house Um that seemed to and even that that wasn't completely clear when you listen to both of their testimonies. But uh, Noble says that they were told that it would likely be her and a child there, a small child there. Ooh. Um, Hankinson said the opposite. He said that they weren't told anything about children or dogs or anything like that is, is his ex- exact quote. Um, this tells me, though, that they were likely aware that there was a, a small child that did frequently stay at this house, um, at this apartment. And they assumed that she would be there, especially since they had um, casings. Um, they had been casing the apartment prior to that night. And so if they had been casing the apartment, they probably would know. They would likely know that there there was a child that frequented that apartment and stayed there um, overnight. And so um, anyway, so. Now, um, we know that the officers also, they were dressed in plain clothes when they arrived to Taylor's door and a neighbor just so happened to be present outside. He was a witness to the event and he actually got into an argument with the officer, Brett Hankinson, before the altercation began. And when the neighbor noted that they, uh, the neighbor noted that they should leave that girl alone, uh, Uh, They said uh, he said to them, I don't know. I have no idea if the neighbor knew that they were police or not. Uh, I I wasn't able to find out for sure. Um, I haven't seen them name specifically the name of this neighbor that said this to them, but uh, it does seem like this was one of the witnesses. And so Brett, actually, Brett Hankinson, in return, pulled out his weapon on this neighbor and he pointed it at him and threatened him. And Sergeant Mattingly had to calm him down and said, Brett, relax. Um, that's not your focus. So we know that Brett uh, was uh, or I'll just call him Hankinson. He was really worked up and and admittedly by uh, Mattingly, you know, he had to calm him down. Now, during this time, we also know that Taylor and Walker were in bed when they came up to the door. Uh, Brianna had just uh, dozed off. She told Walker to turn the TV, to turn the movie off. And um, Walker never confirmed or denied if he turned the movie off. But he seemed as if he was still awake watching the movie while she was asleep. And um, that's when the knocking actually began. And so uh, Brianna woke up around uh, 1240 a.m. What I was not able to confirm was how often uh, the police say that they've really announced themselves um, in the span of time that they were knocking, you know. But the the reason um, the reason being is that their account has been hotly contested by Walker 
in at least 12 neighbors who state that they did not announce themselves. One of the neighbors, uh, the one who lived directly next door to Taylor, says that he knows for a fact the cops never announced themselves as the as a um, as the police. A different neighbor said she heard the police say reload, reload. Let's do what we need to do but um, claims they never did announce themselves. There's only one neighbor that says they did announce just one, but once, but he said that he could be wrong. And he initially said that, um, said the, they never announced until it was two months later. And then his story changed to, um, they possibly announced just once. So there's some discrep- discrepancies with um, this one, witness that I will um, discuss later. His name is, um, I believe it's Aaron Sarpy. So Detective Cosgrove said that they knocked for 30 to 90 seconds. I've, I've seen that number change from them. Um, you know, uh, so, so that's why I say between 30 to 90 seconds, because I've seen 45 seconds. I've seen 60. I've seen 90. I, I mean, it's probably hard to nail down exactly how long they really knocked, but it was it couldn't, it wasn't much longer than a minute and no less than 30 seconds. So the volume escalated from like a gentle knocking to a forceful pounding and then to pounding while yelling, according to the police. Now, this is something we really can't determine as it's really impossible to know um, and to speak for what two out of the 13 people uh, heard Uh, especially when one is not here to speak for herself. But I believe it's really important that we don't jump to conclusions. We have no way of knowing what was said, what wasn't said, what was heard. But I mean, all we can really go off of is the witnesses, right? And so we have really 13 witnesses that say um, the police did knock. All at one point after it happened, have all said the police did, or sorry, the, the police did not announce themselves, right? Um, this one witness is really interesting. I kind of want to tell you what happened with him now, because this was just released uh, as of yesterday uh, regarding his testimony about whether they announced or not. But I'm going to wait because it's going to be a better time for me to touch on that. But um, my point is that it's, it's important not to jump to conclusions. We have no way of knowing what was said. So uh, what we do know is the boyfriend was a licensed gun owner and he was protected under the state stand your ground law um, while he was with Brianna. And um, we know that once the knocking start, they got out of bed and they walked to the hallway near the bedroom. Now, the way I don't know if you guys have seen the drawings of the apartment, but the way it was is that her bedroom was towards the back from, I believe it was to the left-hand side and, or to her right, looking towards the door and uh, the door, the hallway led straight to the door. The kitchen was on um, the left, her left. And um, he, as in Kenneth was either in front of her or at some point, it sounds like sometimes she was behind him throughout those few minutes um, or that little bit of time. And at another point, she might've been next to him when the shooting occurred. It's I've seen both that she was behind him at the end of the hallway towards her bedroom, close to the wall, which from the pictures, it looks like that's where she passed um, or, or that's where she at, at least uh, was laying at. Um, and Kenneth seemed to be like, it seemed like he was ahead of her in front of her. Um, the hallway is pretty narrow. So 
you know, I, I, it's hard to say exactly where he was at and where she was at, but it does seem like he likely from my understanding was somewhat in front of her at the very least. So Walker claims that he did not hear he and and Taylor did not hear the police announce that they were the police. Walker starts walking um, closer to the door in the hallway. Brianna standing further in the back uh, near the bedroom from what I have in my, you know, from what I understand with my notes. And then um, he heard the door fly open and it being broken into using what we now know to be a battering ram. But at that time, he 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 says that he did not know it was it's remember, it's like almost 1 a.m. here and it's dark. Their lights in their apartment were not on. So it's pitch black. Um, we know that when they kicked down the door, it, it knocked it completely off the hinges Kenneth claims that he believes somebody was breaking into the apartment because of the late night, the banging. Um, And so uh, he let off a warning, what he called a warning shot in um, into the air. Now, sometimes I've heard him say it was a warning shot or heard it described as being this warning shot into the air from the hallway. Other times I've heard it was shot, a shot at the door. I, I really don't know if it was a shot up or a shot at the door. But um, from the LMPD's perspective, they claimed that they did identify themselves. They knocked on Taylor's door uh, before using the the battering ram to enter the unit. And when they walked in, they claimed to have seen um, flashes and heard a shot. And and that led to them shooting uh, at least 20 rounds into the home. Um, Now, what's interesting about this is that the, the shooting actually wasn't all at once. After Walker lets off one shot, there was um they had at least shot off 10 hot rounds like right off and then after that there were like there was like a lull and it was completely quiet and and Walker never did shoot again and it was complete silence in the apartment and Nobles in the investigation stated in his interview that he was thinking okay here's the time he said specifically quote here's the time to go But then he said that they all began shooting in the apartment again. And so he was like, oh, like, (laughs) you know, he's you could tell he was confused in his interview as to why they began shooting again um, when there didn't seem to be any threat. There was not another shot. And so um, they were not only shooting from the door, but of course, they were shooting from inside the home. And remember, it's pitch black there. This is it's not just blind to Hankinson. We've heard it. We've been hearing the whole time that, you know, Hankinson, you know, he shot blindly, but really everybody shot blindly. Um, and, and for some reason, I don't know why we haven't pointed that out. I guess Brett went down as the fall guy. Granted, he did break a lot of rules here. He did a lot of illegal things and he was definitely committing a felony in the act because he darted to the side of the apartment and he shot through the slide door, which had the blinds completely closed. So he couldn't see through the side um, slide door. And then he, he also shot through the window, which had blinds covering that part of the apartment. He blindly shot into both of those places. Um, and, and, and that is absolutely, um, 
this is where I'm going to give my personal opinion. No, I don't even think this is a personal opinion, period. This is completely reckless, completely reckless. And so um, the shots, they not only entered Brianna's apartment, but they entered neighboring apartments as well who had children in the home. And um, now one thing that I noticed is that it was, I couldn't find a confirmation that um, when he, that when Hankinson, that it was Hankinson's bullets only that went into the apartments of others. I never saw that confirmed. It could be that I missed it somehow, but I was looking for that to be confirmed, whether it was his bullets for sure that went into all these other apartments, because um, from my understanding, the bullets were going up, you know, into other apartments. And, you know, that very well, you know, could have been other people that were shooting, but I've only seen this pinned on Hankinson. So I have no idea, but just know that he was blindly shooting into the side of the apartment. Um, and that they're saying that the shots not only enter Brianna's apartment, but neighboring apartments as well, who had children in the home. What's interesting to note here, too, is that Kenneth Walker, um, you know, as I said, he was in front of of Brianna, yet he was hit zero times and she was hit six to eight times. Now, there has been some flack towards Kenneth on the conservative side. Uh, stating that he did not protect the woman he claimed that he wanted to marry. And instead of, you know, um, helping her to dodge the firing in response to the shot that he let, he let off, um, he apparently, you know, dodged the bullets and she was left to defend herself, which, you know, she couldn't, she couldn't do that. So, um, you know, especially being that she wasn't able to be prepared because she didn't shoot the shot. He shot the shot. So if you're going to shoot off a shot, of course, you're you're going to be prepared to shoot off that shot. Right. You can just jump out the way, you know, after you shoot that shot. If you get lucky, you won't get hit. But she's apparently behind him, you know, might not have had enough time to to know you know, that he was getting ready to let this shot off. I never heard anywhere him saying that he told her he was getting ready to shoot or prepared her in any way it would be good to know that information but one person who was very upset about this in um, the leaked report by the LMPD was the ex-boyfriend Marcus Glover who this whole thing is about um, because it was very clear that he felt the entire thing was Kenneth Walker's fault because he shot at the police and he had a hard time believing he did not know the police um, was coming through the um, the door and he was really upset that he did not protect Brianna uh, but instead had jumped out of the way it was later confirmed that he even pinned um, the shot on from the gun on Brianna but for some reason this has this was never released to the public by LMPD until later when they released the video and all the footage um, and the body cam um, the body cam recordings after the shooting was over, when Kenneth Walker um, came outside, he had actually stated um, as they were getting ready to arrest him, he, he was like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know. They were like, they were like, what do you mean? You don't know. You you guys shot at us. And he said, well, my girlfriend's in there dead. And, and, and they were like, but but one of y'all shot at us first. Was it you or was it her? And he was like, huh I don't know what's happening she's dead or whatever and then they were like but which one of you shot at us was it you or was it her and he was like 
she did and I was like bruh <laughs> oh my god uh, I mean granted I know people be getting scared okay I know people get scared okay but I was just like Ooh, didn't rub me the right way that didn't rub me the right way anyway I'll just leave that there I'll come back to that at the end I'm gonna let me let me remove my my opinions early okay let me just chill and just tell the story so um so yeah that that was in the video of him being arrested later that night um and and later in the morning at the station he did admit that he was afraid to say that he was the one that shot but he did admit that he was the one that shot. And the gun, by the way, was found under the bed. So he shot from the living room and he went at some point and put the gun under the bed. So I'll swing back to my thoughts on this later. Um, now, the police state that they only began shooting into the apartment when officer, officer Mattingly stated that he had been shot in his thigh. But what's important to note on that part is that Mattingly did receive what could have been um, life threatening a life-threatening shot to his leg, uh, to his femoral artery, which uh, did require surgery and blood transfusions because of the amount of blood that he lost. However, there's a problem with the account that Walker shot him because according to the ballistics report from the FBI and um, the KSP, that does not support that it was from Walker's gun or that he was responsible for the sh for shooting Mattingly, which is a massive problem here because uh, in the media, really I should say from AG Cameron, uh, he has a sign that Walker was the one that shot uh, Mattingly, even though ballistics don't support that. Um, and and it doesn't confirm that. And so, but what's interesting is that he, even though the same KSP and um, report and the ballistics from FBI uh, can't confirm who killed um Brianna in the same way it can't confirm who shot it Mattingly he has said okay well we don't know who you know we can't confirm who shot Brianna but Walker shot Mattingly so I did find that discrepancy to be a little bit bothersome but um I'll, I'll talk about that again a little bit later but the at KSP report for Mattingly says that due to limited markings of comparison value, the nine millimeter bullet that hit and exited Mattingly was neither identified nor eliminated as having been fired from Walker's gun. Now, Attorney General uh, priorly stated that Hankinson had been eliminated as the shooter because they all carry 40 um, caliber handguns. But later on, the LMPD records show that Hankinson carried a nine millimeter weapon and he was blindly shooting into the apartment. So as of now, we don't know for 100 um, 100 that Walker's gun shot him, but it has been presumed that he did by A.G. Cameron. And so. Um, even if you put in Google who shot Mattingly, it finishes the sitting, the sentence for you and says Kenneth Walker shot Mattingly. So um, pretty much every news source confirms that, even though technically we do not know that as a fact, the same way we do not know that Cosgrove was the one whose uh, gun for sure was the one that murdered uh, Brianna. So what we do know is that Brianna was shot six to eight times. The number has changed across different news sources. Sometimes it's been 
six. Sometimes it's been seven. Sometimes it's been eight. I've seen six the most. I know it's between six and eight. Uh, Cameron told the public that um, Mattingly fired six shots, Cosgrove 16, Hankison 10, and Taylor was hit so many times that she was killed immediately due to a bullet that hit her pulmonary artery. Uh, artery. And now um, I want you to excuse the graphicness of what I'm about to say, but um, it was also rumored that she was uh, shot twice in the head because when she was arrested, Walker had brain matter on his shirt. However, this information I have not seen be released uh, through the media. I saw it through the leaked reports from the LMPD of the jail calls that Kenneth made the night of and the following nights after Brianna um, was murdered. Um and what's interesting about that is that um, he, uh, uh, sorry, my my apologies, actually, uh, Jamarcus, he says that when he saw Kenneth at the, the jail, that he had that on his shirt. And, you know, you could tell he was sort of trying to piece together, like, how do you have this on your shirt? Like, you, you just let her die in her own house. Were, were you, did you, did you? you know, help. You just jumped out of the way. Other people claim that he, that he was using her as a shield. I have no way of knowing this. I haven't seen this confirmed. Um, but I do know, uh, from the police side of things, it seems to have been hinted that he might have done that. So, um, excuse me, who knows, but, uh, as a result, we do know that she did die immediately. Um, even if she did not, would not have died immediately. She would have eventually bled out and died because the police did not check on her for 20 minutes after the shooting occurred. Um, this has been contested a bit also because uh, they sent emergency medics away before they even entered the par the apartment and they stated to them that they wouldn't need them. That ended up being quite a bit of a mistake later. Now, um, there's not a definite, you know, um, determination of like, why they left her there for 20 minutes um but from the 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 body cam footage it seemed as if they knew they made some sort of big mistake and nobody wanted to go in it ended up being SWAT who comes from the other um from the Elliot address where Jamarcus Glover was actually located um before being arrested that ends up going through the apartment and 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 seeing her there so up until that point it seems that only Kenneth Walker was the one to tell them, Hey, my girlfriend is dead in the apartment. Um, and it doesn't seem like, or, uh, was not said that they went back in at that point. So they, she just was just left there to die. So, you know, um, that was that. And, and that was really, really unfortunate. And so, um, another thing that was interesting is that in the PIU investigation on March 25th, which I saw with my own eyes, Detective Cosgrove, who is the one that they say um, F the FBI ballistics do actually point to Cosgrove as the shooter. Sorry, I should have notated that the FBI ballistics do point to Cosgrove as the shooter. But the KSP um, actually does not. It, it wasn't it wasn't determined. It wasn't able to be determined. But the FBI ballistics do point to Cosgrove. What's interesting about that is that. Um, he stated in the, in the investigation that he does not even remember firing his gun at all. He says he has no recollection of it at all. 
And I found that to be really interesting. I also found that to be kind of convenient, um, being that uh, they believe his gun was the one that killed Brianna. And so to say you just sort of like blacked out and you remember nothing like he he literally said, if you know, if if you told me that I didn't fire my gun at all, I'd say, OK, you know, because um, I, I, I don't I don't remember anything. And so I, I just when I looked at his his interview, his and Hankinson, I definitely found to be the most um the the most bothersome uh or or possibly like there was some dishonesty happening there uh so anyway after the shooting walker says that he then called the police um as he went and sat with the um the dying brianna whose body was laying at the end of the hallway by the bedroom he called 911 seeming to be very confused he was crying aloud saying somebody came in and kicked the door in and they shot my girlfriend uh, and, and another th- interesting thing, um, about that is that Walker later denoted that he, um, immediately tied it to the ex-boyfriend, Jamarcus Glover. He didn't say this on the call, but he said that he was thinking at that time, um, or, and when it was happening that he thought the ex-boyfriend was coming over there, um, and that it was, it might've been somehow tied to him or something like that. Um, because he knew that in the past that he was involved with drug dealing, um, Walker said. So he says it had something, he thought it had something to do with that, but that he did not think or realize it was the police due to them not hearing them, um, due to him not hearing, um, them announce themselves. Uh, I kind of want to pause here. I think I have it in my notes that I would swing to this at the end. And if I do, I might repeat it, but, um, just this week or I say last week because um today is Monday but uh last late last week LMPD released information out of Walker's phone and just to give a tiny bit of detail according to them according to them though I will say there have been reports that have come out from the LMPD that had false statements on it and we do have that confirmed as a fact however they claim they claim that uh, allegedly out of Walker's phone were text messages of him um, handling or, or or having drug transactions, um, you know, discussing drug transactions on his phone for pills and prescriptions um, uh, and for weed. So, you know, um, I'll jump into that a little bit later, but like more details around that. But just know that 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 happened so the police are now questioning whether his statements about him being afraid and and whether that was the real reason that he shot at the door is really the truth um or if it was because of things he himself was involved in so there is a chance that he his case can reopen and apparently they're currently stating there is a chance that he can be rearrested and tried so just as a side note um, I also found that it was interesting. I couldn't find out what Kenneth Walker's day job was. Um, and so, you know, I, I can't really speak to that. I did hear something about him potentially applying to work at USPS, but I, I don't know. I have no idea what he does for a living. Um, but 
I will say, like I said, this allegation from LMPD, uh, they've shown to be dishonest in their records and other things in the case. So all of this is still to be determined. I think it's safe to say in this this case that we should say allegedly and not for a fact, really with everything that's been released and leaked. So um, now another thing um, about the shooting uh, from Walker um, is, is that he accounted the reason is he him shooting as them being that they showed up late it being pitch back black and them being dressed in plain clothes um and so we hear on the 911 call that after the shooting it was completely silent in the background we don't hear them saying really anything we don't hear anything except for walker on the 911 call which i find really strange because the police were in the apartment like and the apartment is not big so um were they silently listening <laughs> uh were they afraid what happened why after shooting up the apartment that way then there being a lull and then letting off another 10 at least another 10 rounds did they you know then just go quiet and then he just makes this call. he goes to her rescue makes the call and and there's and you hear them saying literally nothing you don't say hear them saying we're the police you don't hear them saying you hear them saying nothing. The next thing you know, they don't announce themselves until they're outside calling him to come outside. And I believe at that point, the 911 call is over. So, um, like I said, we hear Walker on the call crying. We see that Walker is still unaware that the police was responsible for the shooting. And what's important to know here is that Lee, um, you know, like I said, Walker was legally, uh, he had legal, he had a legal right um, to shoot based on the stand your ground law in Kentucky. And like I said before, he had a license to carry. However, many feel that he should not have immediately shot and should have realized it was the police. A.G. Cameron supported this belief. Uh, now the police officers would have had every right, though, to return fire if they had properly identified themselves. If the no-knock warrant um, was actually legal, which it was proven to be an illegal no-knock no-knock warrant, they 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 got the warrant illegally. Um, and also, if Hankinson, Cosgrove, and Mattingly had not been shooting blindly into the apartment Hankinson at the worst because his his shots were completely blind um and then the other two they were blinded by darkness um between themselves and whomever was in the apartment and so you can't really just say this was some sort of tragic freak accident because you're supposed to engage you know the target they didn't do that um and so I find that to be troubling to say the least but um I will say you know um it's even more complex than that because at least five bullets struck other units there were a minimum of 34 shell casings in and around Taylor's home photos show at least 10 bullets flew into Taylor's apartment from the sliding glass door in the living room and the bedroom window both had the blinds drawn and soon after the shooting the SWAT team who had been ex um, executing the search at the Elliott address came to Brianna Taylor's home because they weren't even made aware that there was a warrant at the Springfield address. So that they had no idea that another search warrant was even happening, which is problematic and not typically 
what happens. SWAT should always be aware of these things. So um, once they heard about the shooting, they decided to go down there. And um, especially when they heard that and it was an officer down. Um, I, I don't know if they knew that there there was um, th- that the occupant was down also, but um, they were currently at the Elliott location. SWAT commander Dale Massey, who cleared the apartment after the shooting, says it was clear that it was an egregious act and something really bad had happened. He stated this on his um, interview with the LMPD. So um, while watching the videos of the SWAT interviews, it was clear that he was upset and he he, you know, knew that they were going to have to go in and clean up, you know, a mess that had gone down. And um, they stated he stated that he knew it had went, quote, badly. And Massey in particular was was clearly upset. Hoover was the one who briefed him on it once they um, briefed the swap on on what happened once they got there and um, that they didn't want to rush and go in and see who was, quote, down. And um, one of the SWAT um, members said, "Uh, what do you mean down? He was like dead. Somebody's um, we didn't want to see who was dead or whatever. And so. Um, but they likely knew that it was it was Brianna. Now, there is a standing standard operating procedure for criti- critical incidents like this. And an escort officer is responsible for verifying that the officers involved is isolated from all non-essential individuals for the remainder of the initial investigation. But per the but the officers involved, they continue to walk around freely around the crime scene, even leaving the crime scene, which is illegal and against the rules. Uh, one of the officers involved went to the neighboring apartments to, quote, make sure they were OK. I believe likely to make sure no one was shot because they sprayed up the apartment. Uh, Cosgrove, um, when asked what he did, he just blanked out as if he didn't remember what he was doing afterwards. And he was like, you know, basically like, that's a good question. Uh, I can't recall. I don't know. Type deal which was a bit suspect um, that he's just saying he doesn't, I mean, you basically are saying you don't remember the whole night here. Um, And that's problematic. Um, He seems to not remember what he was doing, but knows that he was active. And he was like, I probably was like outside. And so that was strange. Uh, Hankison, he actually walked right into the crime scene and asked the SWAT officer if anybody was dead. He stepped on casings. They had to tell him not to do that that you're not supposed to do that. And um, he just sort of acted nonchalantly. Um, You know, uh, they have to make sure that the apartment is secure because it's a crime scene. Yet Hankison came in anyways, knowing this rule, these rules, and he did not make them aware that he was even one of the officers in the shooting. So throughout the time where they are, you know, clearing the the crime scene and Hankison is coming all in the apartment, they don't even know. That he was one that he was one of the officers involved, which, you know, again, problematic. One of the officers stated, um, you know, we have to be mindful of what we say now because the body cams are on. They told Hankison to leave the scene and find a peer support officer around uh, 2 a.m. But instead, he decided to go to the um the hospital to see Sergeant Mattingly. And he essentially went AWOL again. Not allowed. Um so Hankison would never clearly answer at any point if he ever made contact with this peer support officer, which is, you know, what he was supposed to do immediately after it happened. Um, later on, the grand jurors actually asked for more clarity around this. They asked where he went, 
Did he make contact with his peer support officer? And the AG stated, the AG office stated, I believe after the shooting, Louisville provides a peer support group to all officers involved in this. A juror could then contest it. Well, it didn't sound like he did that. Speaking of Hankinson, then the AG says he doesn't reference that. So they would not clearly answer the jury, uh, the juror and seemingly kind of covered for this here, uh, which I'll circle to back, uh, circle back to later. Hankinson uh, didn't report to the PIU to take photos um, and he didn't hand in his gear ev as evidence until around 3.45 a.m. Again, something else that was against the, that, that should not have taken place. Um, Detective Nobles and James, they went to the hospital earlier in the night with Mattingly and in the ambulance on the way, um, James took Mattingly's gun and his shot through wallet, um, which are now both in evidence. And then, but he stashed it in Nobles car. And so these two pieces of evidence weren't collected by PIU until the morning. Again, things that are more, you know, things that that are going against the rules here. This is another thing that you're you're not supposed to do. So um, Kenneth Walker, while he I think while he was still in the apartment after he called 911, he called uh, Brianna Taylor's mother and told her that he, that she had been shot. I don't believe he told her that she was killed. I, th I think he just told her that she had been shot. And so she ends up, you know, coming straight to the scene. And, um, you know, she because she called Kenneth back to find out more details and she didn't reach him. And, and of course, she didn't reach him because he was being detained by the police for shooting at them. And so um, what ends up happening is um, Brianna Taylor, she ends up at oh, it's not Brianna Taylor, but Brianna's mother she ends up, you know, trying to get information on what what happened to her daughter. And she wanted to be made aware of her daughter's present condition and her location. But nobody would talk to her. Nobody would tell her what's going on. It took like I believe it was a police officer that lived in the neighborhood that got dressed and came down there, got briefed on the situation, who ends up being the one to finally talk to her, the mother, I believe the next morning at 11 a.m. But while at night, while she was still there, remember now it's probably roughly 2 a.m. Um, to something a.m., something like that. And she, they send her to the hospital and tell her that Brianna is at the hospital. I have no idea why anybody would say she was at the hospital when all of them knew <laughs> that she was in the apartment and that there was no ambulance. They had sent the ambulance away. So why would you tell her she's at the uh, hospital? So she goes and she sits and waits at the hospital for a long period of time. And the hospital finally said to her, Hey, you should really go back because there's nobody on the way to the hospital. Um, we don't think that anybody is coming. So you should go back to the crime scene. So she goes back to the scene. Remember she has no idea what happened she doesn't know where Brianna is she doesn't know who shot her nobody will tell her anything just ignore her the whole time she sits patiently you know um till till the the next morning to 11 a.m to be exact and when she asked the police again in the morning where her daughter was you know, the officer who I believe was the one that lived in, in the neighborhood that came, he stated, well, ma'am, she's still in the apartment. And that's when she knew that Brianna was gone. 
she was never formally made aware of the situation by the police. She never received a phone call from them afterwards. No word, no anything. So, I mean, I can only imagine how hard that is for a mother to go through that. It's terrible. Imagine waiting 10 to 11 hours outside of your child's apartment where they're shooting at, but nobody will tell you what happened. And you had to sit there for hours and hours and hours waiting for someone to be empathetic enough to tell you the truth. No one ever told her what happened or that she was shot by the police, which is the most important information until literally until she saw it on the news. She did not know she was shot by the police. So she never spoke to the police after that night. They never called her. She she called them. They didn't return her phone calls. No one told her anything. So she hired Sam Aguiar as her attorney. So at uh, 2 p.m., they were able to get into the apartment. Later on, Walker's attorney stated that Taylor's home looked like a war zone. He said, I've been doing criminal defense for 30 years. I've never seen a crime scene like this. The various trajectories of the bullets that they fired. I mean, they're literally wildly shooting. They're in various walls. They're in the ceilings. They're in the floors. You know, they're in pots and pans in the kitchen. I mean, they're just shooting everywhere. He goes on to say, I mean... This is the definition of reckless indifference of the value of human life, Romanus said. I mean, if you go to a house and you don't know who's in there and you just start shooting at the door without knowing, um, shooting in the door without knowing who's there, that is the reckless indifference of human life. So though the police, they have the right to, they have the right to defend themselves had they been there legally legally they would not have had the right or should not have been shooting without engaging a target so blindly shooting i'm not sure why this keeps getting pinned on hankison and that they're not talking about the fact that they also blindly shot they did not actually get their eyes on walker to shoot back at him um they were shooting into darkness and remember, they had been told, quote, that there was a child likely at the apartment, yet they shot up the apartment that way. So, um, you know, I find I find that also to be quite problematic. So, you know, I just don't feel that, that they have the right to shoot up an apartment with no visual of where they're shooting and who they're shooting at. The amount of times that they shot it is, it's excessive use of force and it was unnecessary and they end up shooting the person that didn't even have the firearm, you know, and, and, and that to me, they should be held accountable for that. Um, and so anyway, moving on, you know, another important note here is that there was no drugs or money found in Taylor's apartment. According to the police inventory log, they denote that they did not do a thorough search of the apartment, though they were there for two days straight. So I, I'm struggling to understand why a thorough search of the apartment wouldn't have been done. But they're claiming that they did not do a thorough search. Um, but yet they found, you know, many things while they were there. So did you search or did you not search? Uh, they took a lot of things as evidence, you know, things from Walker, like his phone, 
They search, they they did do some searching of the apartment to know that no drugs and money were found there found there. They found they found um um they found Chase Chase Bank envelopes that had Glover's information on it and AT&T mail. Um they I believe there were a few other things that were found, but um nothing nothing major. And so you know, I, I just wish we knew exactly how much they searched based on leak jail phone calls. It seems possible that there was some involvement with leak um, illegal activities based on the ex-boyfriend statements to people um, that he called in the following hours and days. But the proof of that was not actually found. And he actually uh, contradicted himself on those calls. Sometimes it seems like he was implicating Taylor and other times it seems he was not. But remember, these are allegations. And um, LMPD has been accused of being misleading and dishonest in those leaked documents. So we have no way without hearing those jail phone calls with our own ears um, to know if these are the things that were, were actually said. So, um, so yeah. Now. That is, those are the facts of the actual things that happened that night, what led up to it. So we're already at over an hour here. And my goal was actually to wrap this all up in one episode, but I had a feeling that it could go over because I mean, this is one heck of a complex case. And I wanted to give it it's it's proper due by breaking down all of the facts and and including everything that I found and um and not missing things that are important that doesn't mean I got everything 100% right of course um but I did try to include things and that caused us to go you know um a bit long here so on it looks like I'm going to be breaking this up into three episodes instead of two ta-da okay so um, the next episode, I will then just go ahead and go over the problems that arose with the local police department and their investigation, the problems that arose with the grand jury, uh, the problems that arose with, uh, Brianna Taylor and, um, and then just give a conclusion of my thoughts on the case. And then the third episode, I'm that's where I'm going to hit it from a Christian perspective, because remember, this podcast is not only limited to Christians, it's it's Christian perspective on things. But my goal is to talk about things overall, you know, from culture, lifestyle, you know, spiritual issues, personal issues, everything. You know what I mean? We're going to talk about things that are um, nothing could ever be bigger than Christ, in my opinion. However, we're going to talk about things that, you know, affect your life that that are beyond just talking about, let's say, example, the Bible, but things that you deal with in your life and things that we deal with in culture. So, um, you know, I'll I'll be mixing in the Christian perspective and culture you know, lifestyle things of, of that nature. So anyway, what I'm trying to say is that on the third episode, that is where I'm going to break down the Breonna Taylor case from the Christian perspective and give a Christian um, pers- um, uh, opinion of it and hit it from the angle of the gospel and apply that. And then also tell us based on that, that biblically, how we should be responding to the case, how we should be behaving, what we should be doing, where should we be going from here? So that wraps up our episode today. 
you know, I, I really, really thank you for um for listening for being here with me for sticking this thing all the way through and you know I'm so excited for everything we're going to do for those that haven't listened to the first two episodes which were not bonus episodes but um the first two episodes uh you know we're going to be doing a series on race um and and western christianity and you know my perspective of of how where we go from here you know, how we do it in a constructive way and, and, you know, how we can progress our country, you know, from the aspect of race and Western Christianity, right? Uh, I assure you that, you know, my goal is, is to hit things down the middle. It's, it's not to be political. It's not to, like I have no really have no interest in politics. Um, it's it's not to do any of those things. I I just want us to find solutions to things. As believers, we're supposed to be we're supposed to be um, an example. And right now, we're like the worst examples. <laughs> if I'm gonna be 100 honest, I've seen some of the worst examples um, on both sides, and and we have to figure this thing out. And so I just want to do my part in providing the information that can help us get to a solution. And I'm hoping that it's helpful for you. And and these two episodes are now three episodes are just going to be um, bonus. You know, they still hit, they still hit on the topic. They're still within the series, but they're just bonuses. And you'll find that I'll drop bonus episodes where I'm discussing things that could have nothing to do with the series at all, which is why I would make it a bonus because I want, I'm going to have the race series as an ongoing series until I feel like we've covered enough ground and we can stop. It could be a year where I'm discussing racial issues, but in between that, I will drop bonus episodes that are dealing with things that are completely that have nothing to do with race. They're they're going to be, you know, it can be it'll be dealing with all kinds of other hot topics and things um, that will hopefully be helpful uh, to you. And and then at the same time, we'll be expounding upon the issues within race and, and Western Christianity so that we can help bring a resolve to that as well. So, again, I thank you so much for joining us today. It's really been a pleasure to talk to you. It's been a pleasure to gather these facts for you. And I hope that it is hope. Um, I hope that it is helpful and that it helps you to be able to spread the truth about it and that you will be able to in the end of these bonus um, episodes on Breonna Taylor, be able to provide facts to people around you and to help people be more properly informed because this new normal of things not being, um, of things of thing of nothing being factual is so scary and I'm I'm hoping that I can at least do my little small part of bringing clarity to that. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in with us today. I'm your host, Sharon, and this is the Will of Vessels. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the Will of Vessels podcast and please spread the word about us. As always, you can find us on at Will of Vessels on Instagram, the Will of Vessels on Facebook, and check us out to follow us for updates on new series and episodes. We'd love for you to share if you care, and I hope you come back to visit us soon. For now, I won't say bye, but I'll say see you later. Talk soon.